Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle, it's a base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of a middle. The middle of a war! Friggin' ridiculous! Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No! Not the middle seat! Trick or treat. Don't smell our feet. Sit down and listen to the middle seats. I know that didn't rhyme perfectly, but I think you guys will enjoy the attempt. The middle seats is the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. My name is Andrew Ojay. Let's meet our spooky co-host tonight. He's more intimidating to talk to than a psychopath with a knife, but like in a good like boy crush kind of way. Mr. Nate Lungarini. <laughs> How are we doing, everybody? Good to be here. I'm excited to get the spook on. Let's go. And he's as laughable as Buster Rhymes karate chopping Michael Myers, Mr. Jake Hensler. Can you repeat that? What does that even mean? You have to be a fan of the Halloween series to understand it. That one was a that was an obscure burn. Okay, the- I was like, Buster Rhymes is semi talented, and you usually don't give me that much, so I guess I'll take it, whatever that means. All all I gotta say <laughs> is, if you ever get a chance to watch Halloween Resurrection, don't. That's all I'm saying. Wikipedia Warriors, look it up. You'll understand. Anyway, The Middle Seats is the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. Our show is divided into three segments if you're just joining us for the first time. The first segment, one of the members of the crew, either Nate, Jake, or I, will pitch a topic and we'll just kind of go back and forth on it like you would in the lobby of a movie theater. Hence, we call it Lobby Talk. Then from there, we talk about the biggest news of the week, what's going on in movies and TV that we need to talk about right now before the movie starts. And as the movie starts... We go into our feature review of that biggest movie of the week. We are talking about the reboot of the Halloween series. So guys, it is Halloween time. There's a lot of spooky and scary topics we're going to be talking about, of course, with horror movies and everything. So kind of let's just jump right into it. Let's get into my lobby talk. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? before you can make the lobby so guys of course like i said in october watching horror movies is a fun thing to do i've been trying to be better about watching the classic horror movies in recent years and trying to get caught up on those and guys all three of us i know because i've watched movies with you we're pretty vocal while we're watching movies that aren't like super serious you know what i mean we're very vocal about like plot holes when we're watching it together we're not dicks in the theater we've been through that already we roast the movies a little bit and we get into like oh i could do this i could do that that doesn't make sense this little thing but it's time to put your money where your mouth is because especially in horror movies horror movies are very interactive experiences audiences yelling at the screen i know my audience for the new halloween was very interactive with the screen (laughs) uh and i'm sure your guys were similar experiences especially in Jake's specific circumstances, which we'll get into later when we get into the future review of his first experience watching this movie. Anyway, biggest point is this. When we see the killers in these big horror movies, we kind of yell at the characters for being so stupid. But if we were put in those own situations right there, would we be able to survive? And basically the question I pose to you guys is this. If you had to pick one famous movie horror character in the movies that you could escape from with your life, who would it be? So there are a lot of different possibilities here, and I want sound reasoning here, very sound reasoning. 
Jake, let's start with you. Who would you pick? Um, so I really like this topic because I, I myself have thought a decent amount about this. And I like the horror genre in general. So I always kind of think about this, you know, does it work? Does it not? Why does it work? Would I survive? First of all, I think if anybody picks Freddy Krueger, you're an idiot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he was immediately out. Yeah. yeah. There's no, you would never, ever survive no matter what. So that's out. Um, I had a couple thoughts about who I would pick and why. And truthfully, to, you know, fit the, the theme of the show here, I'm going to pick Michael Myers. I think I could manage surviving Michael Myers, more or less, depending on his mood. I think if I'm just in his way, I'm screwed. Because there have been times when Michael Myers is trying to get to somebody, and he just brutally destroys people. And I think in that sense, if you don't know he's coming, you're fucked. But if you are his target, he likes to toy with you a little bit. He likes the chase. He likes the hunt. So I think if I am his target, I think I'd live because he's a walker. He's an intimidating walker, and I quite literally am a runner. I've been running (laughs) pretty much consistently for 10 years. So, motherfucker, if you want to chase me, have at it because I will always run faster than your walk. Now, if I happen to be next to you, yeah, you're going to win. You're a giant. You take gunshots like they're pebbles. So there's no chance I beat you in a fight. But if you cannot catch me... I think I'd live. But how do you deal with the the tripping? Horror movie characters always trip, Jake. It's, how it's do you not get a steeplechase. I'm not running the hurdles. <laughs> <laughs> I have never tripped in a race. So I'm pretty confident that I could survive Michael Myers if he never gets within a couple feet of me. I think I'd always live. Right. And the intelligence of that character kind of varies not only from movie to movie, but from scene to scene. Like, there are times where he's, like, very cunning. And like you said, he sets traps for his victims and stuff like that. And then there are other times where he he's just a big brute. Like, it's it's yeah. inconsistent. Like, I love how he pins people to walls with knives. Like, that's brutal and terrifying. It's great set decoration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> but, like, there, there are some times when he just steps into the doorway and people are like, hey, what do you want? No! Jump out the window! Get the fuck out! Yeah. Doesn't matter what he wants. He wants to slit your throat. Get out of there! Yeah. So I think I think I could live if I'm his target. If he's going for somebody else and I just happen to be around, done. Because he doesn't play around with side characters. He just bashes their head through a wall yeah. and rips them limb You from get limb. randomly introduced in a scene in a horror movie, you're done. <laughs> right. Yeah, and God forbid you're with like a significant other or something like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah, I, I think I could manage against Michael Myers. I think there are scarier picks for sure. And that's why I obviously didn't pick them. Like Freddy Krueger and others. Yeah. Uh, even Jason Voorhees is a giant of a man. Right. In the Friday the 13th remake, they made him into a freaking track star, though. So that kind of takes away the walker aspect. Yeah. <laughs> like, he could catch you. Yeah, exactly. I, I did see that, actually. So, I don't know. And he, Michael Myers always just walks around with a knife. So I think it at least puts him back a shot. So, I don't know. I'd probably strap myself and just stay in shape, and I think I'd be all right. Right. I considered Michael Myers as well. I think that's a solid choice. That's a safe one. Uh, Nate, I know, has a very not-so-safe one. I'm very curious to hear what he has for this one. Go ahead. This could be the whole podcast right here. So I I just want to put a little disclaimer here. Because I've seen less horror movies, I already am at a disadvantage for this kind of conversation because I just don't know enough about the main characters that you consider for this sort of thing. But I did pick one that I think I could do pretty well at for a movie that I have seen. And I'm referring to It from It Follows. The reasoning is this. The creature is predictable. 
It always walks towards you, unfazed by everything else around it, unfazed by its environment, until it kills you. But it always maintains that walking speed, kind of like Michael Myers. So I'm going full methodical with this. I did the research. <laughs> exactly halfway across the Earth is the west coast of Australia. <laughs> I buy myself another place to stay there. And I switch between those two locations, constantly confusing the monster. Now you'll say, Nate, how do you know when the monster's getting close to you? With science, we have trackers. I will shoot it with a grizzly gun before I go to Australia for the very first time. So I know its location. And the movie monster has been portrayed as very, very dumb. So I don't think it would remove the tracker once I shot it. And from there, I can always tell how close the creature is to me. The circumference of the Earth and this walking speed of an average human takes about a year to go all the way around the Earth. So every six months, I switch between my Australian home and my Earth home. And there you go. Save for I life. Just, I, I laugh so much at this because <laughs> Nate just went through like he has a budget for it. And Jake was like, I'll just fucking run. Like, <laughs> very much a contrast of I, I feel like that is Nate versus I. I don't right. – I'm not much of a thinker. I prefer not thinking too often or too much. Say what you want. but <laughs> Yeah, and I like it. Now, Nate, you didn't address the other option, which of course is the gigolo option. Like that part of the entire It Follows universe – is that ever going to cross your mind, or are you just going to stick with this? I don't want to screw somebody else over, literally and figuratively. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other part about that is, if they get to that victim, Nate's next, and he may never know. Right. Mm. Yeah. So he, he I wouldn't want to risk yeah. that either. Um, Nate, good choice. It Follows is one of my absolute favorite horror movies. I think it's simple concept done just about as, as good as it gets. I love, love, love that movie. But that is a terrifying creature to have after you. It looks like everyone, too. It can take the form of your mom. No, thank you. I do not want that coming like, after me. <laughs> what's the difference between the it creature following you versus Michael Myers following you in the dark? You can't see who it is either way, right? <laughs> They're both walking. <laughs> I guess I would just text my mom like, Mom, Mom, if you're ever coming to see me, tell me first or there's going to be trouble. Right. Michael Myers <laughs> is also a mouth breather, so I feel like you could hear him more. He also got the mask. You, you, you're going to know. It can be anything, which is terrifying. So I think I think that's a dangerous choice. But Right. But it's also a very sound strategy. I'll give him that. Like, he's thought it yeah. out clearly. I'm going mathematical. Right. The only predictable movie monster that I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> they um And they never did discuss how it does, uh, like, swimming-wise. Like, would it get on a boat and just chill? I'd assume it'd go full Pirates of the Caribbean and just walk underwater on the bottom of the ocean. Could be. <laughs> well, very interesting there. It's a little bit of athletic versus smarts. And I'm kind of going to lean with my choice more towards the the cunningness and the smarts of Nate's plan. You know, most of the killers, they can't be reasoned with. They're just evil for the sake of evil. It's rare that you find some kind of serial killer or entity of evil with a method to their madness. Usually it's just they're evil because they're evil incarnate. The person I think that I could get myself out of becoming their victim is Hannibal Lecter. Now, of course, Hannibal Lecter is a completely different animal than the It or Michael Myers. He's sophisticated. He's intelligent. He really likes to spar with his both his prey and his counterparts like um, Clarice. So I think... If I could prove myself intelligent enough, which, I mean, hold your jokes for me 
to finish, first of all. <laughs> Biting tongue. If I could prove myself kind and a sophisticate and not someone that represents a system that he doesn't enjoy and someone that represents a better part of society through some kind of, you know, dinner out in public, you know, no, like, private dinners, like in the Ridley Scott Hannibal, where Hannibal Lecter's eating dinner with his prey, like, at home, like, with nobody around, no cameras yeah. or anything. Like, yeah, what are you no doing? Shot. <laughs> yeah, we go to like Denny's or Red Robin. Um, I know they have good meat. There, there. There's probably psychopaths there too. You got to go somewhere better than that. Right. I know. He, <laughs> if he doesn't like the waiter, he can have him for a snack later. Forget the tipping fifteen percent part. But yeah, I think if I could talk to him and kind of prove my worth as a person, he would spare me because there are a lot of people that don't deserve to live. I mean, that's a bad soundbite to just isolate, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, unless you go with that tactic and he goes, how cute. Now I'm really intrigued. Uh, yeah, well then, I, I don't know. You're then. gambling so hard on just assuming that you can just get on his good side. Right. And I feel like the hubris in you would be an automatic red flag for... Hannibal Lecter that he would stick into you like a topping of a sandwich at the deli. <laughs> well, well, here's what you do. You you know, everybody's been on a first date before at a restaurant. If it's going badly, you sneak out the bathroom window. And then, you know, the hunt is on, whatever. Nate, you have some room at your Australia house? I'll, I'll join you. <laughs> have you often snuck out of bathroom windows on bad dates, Drew? No, but this would be an exception because I don't want to die. I, so. <laughs> I think you are not only playing with fire, you are playing with fire and your tool is matches i i don't know there's pretty much a minimal scenario where you convince him not to kill you because if he wants to you're you're dead and he's a genius he's not like this hulking scary i mean he is scary but he's not like this gigantic man he is like the smartest of the smarts we can't all run a five minute mile jake i i, no, I, I, I had to get creative that's that's why i would not choose Hannibal. he's a genius yeah. He would, I think if he wants you, it does not matter. He tracks you down and he figures out a way. Okay. I think you need to hire like Dwayne The Rock Johnson to just stand by your side at all times. Yeah. Well, okay. A little bit more pushback than I expected. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you're a smart cookie, Drew. I don't know think you're that smart, though. <laughs> we we want to hear from you guys. Who could you take in some kind of fight or intellectual wits and wagers? We want to hear from you. Comment, subscribe, email, do everything that you do. Anyway, that'll be it for Lobby Talk. Let's move into our news segment. And this just in, a news break special report. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. So guys, we're going to jump right into some big news out of Netflix over the last couple of weeks. Um, Jake and I, I know for a fact, are pretty big fans of the Marvel Netflix streaming series. Even the ones we're not a big fan of, we usually watch. And I know Nate knows of them, of course. Um, they are kind of side subsidiaries to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They don't mention like Iron Man or Spider-Man or any of those major characters. But Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist, they form the Defenders, which is like the B-Squad of the Avengers, and they kind of take care of New York City. Two of those four superheroes that I just named, Iron Fist and Luke Cage, have lost their shows. So Iron Fist was canceled. Its second season had premiered in September. Uh, it was not well received by critics, really. And Luke Cage was also canceled, a show that I really liked, actually, especially the first season. That second season premiered in June. So there's a lot of speculation of why they're doing this. And now we're also hearing rumors that Daredevil, um, if it does not perform well with season three, which just premiered earlier this month, could also be on the chopping block. So there are a lot of different factors here. Disney has their new streaming service coming up. They might be wanting to try something. 
Uh, Luke Cage and Iron Fist are typically partners in the comics. They could be teaming up for their own subsidiary series because I'm sure we'll see these heroes again at some point. But guys, just there's a lot to process here because there's a, a kind of a shift in the MCU going on right now. And it's a important time to kind of digress, I think. Uh, Nate, as a person who hasn't seen these shows, what do you see as an outsider here? All right, just to fill viewers in on my watch history, I've only seen the first two seasons of Daredevil and the first season of Jessica Jones. And I enjoyed them fine. I just wasn't super into it. So with all the other stuff that I had to keep track of movie-wise and TV-wise, it just kind of fell off the wayside and never really bothered getting back into it. Um, however, just looking at the headlines here, I feel like this is definitely more of a red flag from Netflix's point of view than a potential opportunity, just because Disney's coming out their streaming service. Uh, the numbers have been down for what they put into this, and there's a very good chance that they might just, like, altogether lose those rights for all these Marvel characters. So, hopefully it just goes out with a bang, but... I don't foresee these series lasting much longer. I'm also wondering, and this is just kind of, I don't have the exact answer to this, but I'm also wondering how much do these shows cost? Because, I mean, they don't look like movies, but they do lean heavily on special effects. Uh, Jake, as a person who has seen pretty much every season, barring Daredevil Season 3, uh, what is your speculation here? Um, I think it's a shame. I think overall they are consistently good seasons of television. I know Andrew and I could probably disagree on this. I thought... Iron Fist Season 2 is actually pretty decent. Um, not great, definitely below a lot of the other stuff, but still solid. And I think Iron Fist and Luke Cage both ended their second seasons with interesting directions, especially Luke Cage Season 2. I really, really thought it was fascinating where they are potentially going with it. Um, so if they wanted to partner them together, I'd be totally fine with that. I think they you know, could totally make that work. Um, if they're thinking about Daredevil as well, and then capping it with... Um, Jessica Jones 3 and Punisher 2, which are already in production, so that's going to happen. If they are really just going to cut it and not go with the Disney streaming service, I'd really like them to just give them all one more crack and give us an actual finale rather than just wrap it with a, a loose end. Um, but I think it's a shame. I think they're all pretty good, and I look forward to every time one of those characters gets a show out. So I hope it's not really the end. I hope there's something going on, but I don't know. Right. I see what you're saying about the end of Luke Cage Season 2, which, of course, keeping vague about what that is. But Thank you. Yeah, in case Nate ever wants to eventually catch up. Yeah. I think that the two characters have kind of, and all the supporting characters, have kind of run their course as far as their own solo series go. So I'd be okay seeing them combine. But I really hope this isn't, like, the last time that we see either of them, which I don't think is going to be the case. Yeah, it'd be um, super weird if that's just it. Right. The Daredevil, <laughs> the Daredevil news that potentially that's it, it's in trouble, is surprising to me, to be honest. Like... It could be indicative of Netflix's strategy going forward. I, I'm not sure how much they spend on their shows. I'm not sure how much pressure Disney is putting on them to try to wrap this up. We already know Kevin Feige does not pay really any attention to these shows. Like, they're not referenced at all, no matter how much the references go back the other way into the TV shows towards the Battle of New York and what's going on with Civil War and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. They don't talk about them. They don't talk about Daredevil. They don't talk about Luke Cage. And why should they? I mean, they're the Avengers. They have a lot of other things to worry about. But, like, if you were trying to talk about, like, a cohesive universe, then I think it's only probably been partially achieved because, you know, one side is not reciprocating. And, I mean, I don't know if that has to do with Disney trying to 
separate themselves from the darker tones, or if it has to do with Kevin Feige not being happy with how Iron Fist was met by the critical public. But, like, there's a disconnect here between the TV series and the movies that is really interesting to me, because that's not what was pitched to me as a viewer. And I'm wondering if both sides are just trying to cut losses at this point. I don't personally think anything here has been, except for Iron Fist, I don't think really anything has been, like, a huge failure. Defenders wasn't amazing, but their team up was good. I was pretty low on Defenders, truthfully. I didn't think it was anything uh, special, but I think if they are going to wrap the TV shows, then, you know, give us another Defenders, throw Punisher in there, and just make it real good. Make it a 13-episode or put a lot of time into it, and then just, like, if you really have to wrap it there, fine. But, like, give us a finale of sorts, you know? Don't just right. cut it. Yeah, and I and I would be okay with that. Like, there will be a time where these things run their course. Right. There's going to be a moment where I'm going to be sick of these series. I'm just, not yet. Not quite Right, yet. it's happening a lot sooner than I had expected. Mm-hmm. And as the outsider here, uh, the original pitch for me, uh, seeing the original Daredevil and even Jessica Jones, was to see superheroes, but in a dark and gritty setting that we haven't seen in all the PG-13 rated movies. And... Um, correct me if I'm wrong, because I haven't seen the season, but I feel like as soon as you get to Defenders territory, where you have team-ups going on, you're starting to lose that edge that made the original Daredevil so enticing to so many people. People were eating it up because it was new and fresh, and now you have less of a unique factor, because we've seen I would say episodes now, we've seen those seasons. I would say the edge is still there, because there's some pretty violent shit in these shows. Um, yeah, <laughs> there there are specific things that I can like point to where I'm like Punisher is like. Oh, know, I forgot about Punisher. Too, holding though. nothing back. Right, Punisher is rough, but also there was a couple of things in Luke Cage season two that made me go like, oh god, these shows do have edge. They have sex in them. They have like alcoholism. They have things that other corners of the MCU don't touch. But I think you're nailing something there, Nate. Where it's not really part of the pitch anymore. It's just taken for granted at this point. And it doesn't feel as unique as it did when it first started. Yeah, there, there is something to that. At the end of the day, I think it takes a lot more to produce a TV show over the course of a full season and return with future seasons than it is to do a one-off movie. So at some point, the passion project is really hard to keep up and you need to focus on how many viewers you're bringing in. And I think the numbers are speaking for themselves. The viewership is down on these and that's why there's going to be less less push to get seasons renewed right and also another big problem we gotta we gotta move on soon but another big mm-hmm. problem that i think jacob's certainly agreeing with me on is that the fact that most of these seasons are too long like some of these seasons are 13 episodes when they really should have been closer to like eight to ten episodes when you push your luck like that viewers are more likely to tune out because there are too many filler moments in there you're not yeah. getting as much as you need to be from those extra episodes well, Iron Iron Fist 2 did that, and I think it, it worked really well. It worked better, they, yes. They capped at 10 episodes, and I think that was fine. But I don't know, maybe that's that's a bunch of signs for the producers. Like, nobody's interested in 13, we gotta do 10. People still aren't watching that much, the ratings aren't great. I, I don't know, maybe there's something to that. We'll, we'll continue to track the state of the MCU on Netflix, and of course the state of the MCU in general on future podcasts. We're gonna move on to a different corner of Disney now, guys. Um, the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, speaking of franchises that kind of wore out their welcome a little quicker than people expected uh so of course the first pirates of the caribbean came out in 2003 it was a huge hit johnny depp even getting a best actor nomination at the academy awards for it that's how big it was back then which like looking back at that it's like wow the movie must have been a cultural phenomenon we were all too young to remember it i feel like Mm -hmm. and then 
oh, 06, 07, we get Dead Man's Chest and we get At World's End. One was okay in my opinion and one was a really bad movie. What was confusing as shit. <laughs> yeah, they all, had, they all had pretty big problems, but they all made a lot of money. And even the fourth one, which is a pretty bad movie in general, made a lot of money. But then we got to the fifth one, a gap from 2011 to 2017. And by then, Johnny Depp's public image had waned. It had been too long in between films. Uh, and the movie was the lowest grossing one worldwide besides the original. So, like, that one was pitched, of course, as the end of the franchise. Well, now, <laughs> Disney's not even waiting, like, the requisite respectful 15 years to even toy with the idea. According so to Deadline, they are reportedly considering a reboot of the franchise. Probably no Jack Sparrow, probably just within the Pirates universe. Its own separate story in a different corner of this swashbuckling adventure series. The film, if it is made, will be written by Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick. They are the writers of the two Deadpool movies. So, you know, guys that know comedy, guys that know action. Right. Interesting choices there. But I, 2017 was the last one, last year. So, <laughs> Jake, what what is going on here? <laughs> Gee, I don't, f- fuck if I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've seen the first one a few times because it's generally a really good movie. I enjoy the first one a lot. I've seen the second one once or twice a while ago. I remember enjoying it as a kid, thinking it was funny and it was a lot of fun. The third one I saw in theaters and never watched again because it's too long and it's too confusing. I never cared to, re- to revisit it. Didn't bother with four and five. If you're going to reboot, I get it. It's huge. People love these movies. They make a ton of money. But, like, give it a minute. My goodness. It has not been a year. Like, relax. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like we should have a segment every week on the show called, Um, What?, where we just kind of go into the, the thing that freaks us Fair. out so much. So, Nate, um, what? <laughs> Jake, if I had to sum up your reaction to be a little bit of surprise and shock. Oh, yeah. For me, I'm I'm honestly not even surprised anymore. I think this is I think this is just Hollywood culture. It has come down so much to brand recognition. And you could make a freaking awesome movie that happens to include pirates and it won't make any money. But if you call it Pirates of the Caribbean, people remember the name and they'll go see the movie, even if it has nothing to do with the previous films. We've seen this in a lot of original projects. We just talked about last week, Bad Times at the El Royale, which did not do well at the box office. But I bet you, if you called that something like um, Mission Impossible Creepy Hotel, it makes a million dollars. You know what, Nate? I hate that you're right. And it's it happened with the nice guys. It happens with original projects all the time where it just doesn't have the brand recognition. So studios aren't making it because it doesn't happen. And on the other hand, you have stuff like our soft reboots. Like It came out last year. Halloween came out this year. Both of those are fresh starts to something old, but that still has a brand recognition. And what do they both do? They make a lot of money. Yeah. How many times has X-Men done that? Like, Yeah. <laughs> so it, it literally is brand recognition at this point. And Disney says, all right, we need a fun action adventure series. Pirates of the Caribbean is a cool name. Let's just keep chucking out those. It doesn't need to have John Depp anymore. Yeah. D- Disney's really going ham with it too. Like rebooting their I, – I don't want to get into this because you guys are both going to have smoke coming out of yours. But, you know, rebooting the live action stuff Ugh. with that angle yeah, and now Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, yeah, the animated stuff. Like, Yeah. Ugh. Disney, man. Yeah, Nate, I'm infuriated that you're you're pretty much right on all of that. Like, the brand recognition name 
is so key, but they don't realize Hollywood doesn't remember that for those things to get popular, they had to be original to begin with. Like yeah. Star, mm-hmm. Star Wars didn't start as like a novel or something like that. It was just a good movie that people like to go see. It's a chicken and the egg thing. Like mm-hmm. obviously there needs to be something to start the phenomenon a movie like The Nice Guys or something like that. That was a good example of a movie that just got no attention, but like 20 years ago might have been a Lethal Weapon type franchise. Such a good movie. It's a shame. Right. I'm trying to think of big blockbusters that made a ton of money and were completely original ideas. And I'm struggling to come up with stuff. Like Inception springs to mind, but that was, what, eight years ago. And that's the only thing that's popping in my head right now. And that was still a multi-million dollar production smaller movies do not stand a chance against something like that and everything else i can think of that has been a blockbuster has been attached to a previously rebooted franchise another uh, intellectual property that's been done before it's been a long time since we got an original feature that's done incredibly well right i i would say probably the best performing one in the 21st century is avatar but even then that was derivative of story elements that people were familiar with Although it did have mm-hmm. its own unique swing. Came out in 2009, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Like, in this decade, I, I don't know. Inception's a very good example. I'd have to do some research, obviously. But, like, getting back to the Pirates of the Caribbean thing, the whole idea of this being rebooted, like, now, um, doesn't surprise me at all because this precedent has already been set by Sony with the Spider-Man movies. They blew this door wide open when they decided to make a new Spider-Man with a completely different reboot cast spending a whole movie on the origin story again how many years later was it like five five years later yep 2007 was spider-man 3 2012 the amazing spider-man came out they screwed it up in three years so (laughs) yeah i'm not as much like mad about tom holland's version but that's another example another soft reboot you know this kind of thing will continue to happen and at a certain point like i'm not going to say originality is dead but at a certain point people need to start thinking like us without their wallets or people that have enough clout. like Chris, That's why Christopher Nolan is so valuable. Like a mind like him. Because he thinks of these ideas that can be profitable plus mm. good. You know? Like original. It's, it's such a shame. It's not that original is dead. It's just for some reason uninteresting. Yeah, that's when the, people say original movies don't come out anymore. Don't watch movies. Like that's not true. Best picture last year was about a woman fucking a fish in World War II. Like <laughs> I would say that's pretty original. But like – we need to support original things. And we're going to say this all the time because otherwise mm-hmm. we have to report on stories like this and go, um, what? The whole time. Again and again and again. And that's the thing. People, I feel like everybody's shocked about this stuff. Like seriously, I feel like everybody is like, oh my God, again? And then they all go see it. Right. Cut mm-hmm. it out. Cut the shit. <laughs> Speaking of a soft, soft remake, Liam <laughs> uh, Neeson. Liam Neeson kind of screwed us over in the early days of the Middle Seeds podcast because he yeah. kind of announced he was going to be stopping his almost a decade-long binge of starring in action movies. And that has not happened. And if the trailer for his new movie, Cold Pursuit, is any indication, well... What are you doing? My job. Kill him. 
That was a snippet of the trailer of Cold Pursuit. It stars Liam Neeson and Laura Dern. Uh, Liam Neeson is a snowplower driver. His son overdoses on drugs, and he uses his trusty snowplow and the snow to kill those dastardly drug dealers. Uh, It's coming out this February, right around the 10-year anniversary of Taken, which, of course, started this whole Liam Neeson action trend, as, as far as, like, the star of action movies goes. So this was a big topic of discussion actually in my office today um several of our reporters were talking about it one of them even shared the trailer on twitter so Liam Neeson clearly makes people interested I don't know if it's a meme thing or if it's a I'm actually genuinely interested in seeing this Liam Neeson action movie thing but this trailer really goes in contrast with one what he said and two what um, our mindset of what an action hero was supposed to be even just a decade ago so I have a comparison in my head that I'm going to get to in a second that I kind of shared with you guys earlier, but I want to divulge on it more. But first, just initial thoughts on the trailer. Nate, what do you think of this trailer for Cold Pursuit? Um, I got a lot of vibes from Death Wish, the Bruce Willis movie that just came out. Yeah, that the remake. That's also another the, soft yeah. remake. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good Lord. Um, I, I just I just feel like it's, it's coming out at a weird time, but from a technical standpoint like it looks like another generic action movie that is kind of taking Liam Neeson as the action star a little humorously because there's some funny cuts in the trailer it's not like a dead serious one like Taken was uh so we'll see what happens I suppose I'm I've never been particularly excited I think the last Liam Neeson action movie that I actively wanted to see and saw was The Grey and I feel like that came out so long ago now (laughs) Yeah, that was that was six years ago at this point. Yeah, I can't dispute that. I mean, a lot of these kind of blend together, don't you think? Yeah, um, nonstop. Uh, the all the other Taken sequels that did worse. Yeah, the Commuter, Unknown. They kind of just swap out scenarios, which is why I'll get into my metaphor in a second. But first, Jake, initial thoughts. <laughs> so I was gonna watch it at dinner, and I just forgot. <laughs> So you haven't seen the trailer? <laughs> I just forgot as you were saying. Why didn't you? Oh, my God. I just forgot. I was like, oh, shit, yeah, let me watch that during dinner. And then I just, I kind of forgot. So no, I'll, Leave this I'll... in the podcast. We're moving on. <laughs> <laughs> you can just sit um, there and think about what you've done. <laughs> so I'll talk about how Liam Neeson's been doing the same shit over and over again. I just forgot to watch the trailer. I'm sorry. Oh my god! This is like when you go up for like to give a presentation in front of the class, and you just try to fake it. If you really want me to go, I'll wing it. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> um, so yeah, based on what Nate said, it's it sounds like it's going to be another generic Liam Neeson action movie. I have not seen most of them. He just I don't think his any of the action movies have done particularly well enough or looked particularly good enough for me to go. Yeah, I want to make time for that. And I guess that. I guess that follows suit with trailers now, too. I don't know. I guess I just <laughs> forgot. Oh, my God. It's so forgettable that we gave you an assignment and you still did <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. There you go. Um, maybe you can comment on this a little bit more. Liam Neeson's career from 2009 to now reminds me a lot of what Arnold Schwarzenegger did back in the day. And Sylvester Stallone to an extent as well. He would play a similar persona and just kind of take that character and drag and drop into a different scenario. So, like, Liam Neeson, he's looking for his missing daughter. Uh, Liam Neeson's a detective looking for a missing child. Liam Neeson is a ex-cop on a plane stopping terrorists. Stuff like that. Like, you can take the bare bones of what Liam Neeson's been doing and just drag and drop into different locations. And I think the outlier to that, the only example, 
that doesn't fit that kind of definition in the last 10 years or so as far as these lead movies are is The Grey, which is a very, very good movie. Really well directed, really well written by Joe Carnahan, who's an underrated filmmaker. But like, again, Cold Pursuit's kind of the same. One of my coworkers that watched the trailer literally thought it was one of those fake trailers like where they cut together different pieces <laughs> from different movies. And I had to explain to him that no, it was a real movie that's coming out in February. And he was and he was shocked because it just looked so generic and like every other movie that he's mm-hmm. made. I'm kinda of waiting for Liam Neeson to make like a, a Marvel appearance in just one of the new movies. Yeah. Maybe he's been playing Groot the whole time. He it might be like, it might be a return to form, honestly, back to Qui Gon days. Right. Are we calling Qui Gon a return to form? Because that's sad. <laughs> Ross Ross. Oh, that's movie. just it. I, like if you said 10 years ago, what do you know Liam Neeson for? You would probably say Schindler's List, right? Right. Like, Taken was really, really cool at the time because it was Liam Neeson doing something we had never seen from the actor before. Exactly. That's why and it worked. now, if you say Liam Neeson, you're thinking generic action movie guy. And I think that's a shame. You're still thinking Taken. Mm-hmm. Taken as a good bar. As opposed to Oscar-winning performances. Right. And that's kind of crazy to think about. Mm -hmm. So, guys, mark your calendar, February 8th or 9th. Uh, Maybe we'll be talking about Cold Pursuit when it comes out, but we'll get to it. I'm going to forget. Yeah. (laughs) I'll put it on the calendar. Anyway, that will do it for this week's news segment. It's time to get into our creepy crawly review of Halloween. We're here to investigate patient that killed three innocent teenagers on a Halloween in 1978. Everyone in my family like turns into a nutcase this time of year. Yeah, I mean, your grandmother is Lori Strode. She was almost murdered. Do you know that I pray every night that he would escape? Who the hell did you do that for? So I can kill him. waited for this night. He's waited for me. I've waited for him. Get him! You don't believe in the boogeyman. He's here! Michael! You should. Halloween 2018 was directed by David Gordon Green, who has maybe the most eclectic filmography of any director in Hollywood. Uh, this is the man that directed Pineapple Express and Your Highness, but he also directed like a thriller with Nicolas Cage called Joe, and then there's a bunch of things that he's done. He's a very interesting director. Uh, he co-wrote the film with a bunch of people, including Danny McBride, who, of all people, of course, he is a big comedy guy as well. This is the first movie in the Halloween series since 2009, so it's been nine years, and this is the probably third or fourth soft reboot But this is the definitive one. This is the one that they want you to pay attention to. This movie does not pay attention to Halloween 2 through Infinity. It only pays attention to the original film. It picks up 40 years after that original. Laurie Strode, of course, played by Jamie Lee Curtis. She survived the attack 40 years ago. She has prepared her whole life for Michael Myers to escape. Uh, Her tough love parenting style, which includes, of course, barricading her home teaching her children how to shoot guns, teaching her kids to be skeptical of everyone, including all the boys they try to date, seems to have estranged her a little bit from her family, including her daughter, Karen, played by Judy Greer, and her granddaughter, Allison, played by Andy Matichek. Eventually, 
Michael escapes a bus transporting him to a different prison than the one he's in, and he returns to Haddonfield, Illinois on Halloween, 40 years later, to terrorize his old neighborhood. So guys, there's actually been a lot of anticipation, I feel like, behind this, just to see the big brand name back, to see Jamie Lee Curtis back in the role. I've spent a lot of time recently going through and watching the different sequels and watching all the movies in the Halloween series just see how this one stacks up and I'll get it to the final verdict on that in a few minutes but first Jake Hensler you had a very interesting and unique experience seeing this Halloween reboot why don't you tell the audience about that I did um I'm sure I've talked about it a couple times now because I saw it in July and we've been recording since then um so I can finally lay it to rest after this episode but I did I for some weird reason I was given a free pass to uh, go see a early screening of Halloween. And it was really cool. Packed house. The director was actually in the back. I talked to him for about 30 seconds, just introduced myself, said hi. Thought it'd be cool, and it was. And it was a really cool experience. The audience was very engaged. I was really interested to see, you know, how it compared to the final release, you know, just this week or last week. And I think both cuts were very similar, if not exactly the same. There might be, like, a few minuscule things that were cut here and there. Um, overall, really cool experience. I don't know how or why they chose the theater because it's not really a special theater, but whatever. It was really cool. I'm glad I got to go. Um, um, so yeah, so now my thoughts on the movie. Uh, I can finally tell these guys after seeing it twice since July. I think it's fine. I'm not as high as the reviews are, I think, personally. I think it's good. It's definitely competent. Like, it's not one of the idiot horror movies or one of the idiotic sequels that are made time and time again. Um, you could tell it's made by a competent director and you can tell that it's made with some care. I just think there's anything really specially put in here other than the concept itself. You know what I mean? Laurie Strode waiting for him after all these years. Right. The initial premise. Yeah. Yeah. And they have this final, like, you know, they're coming for each other. They've been waiting for this night. That's a really cool idea. After that, I don't think there's a whole lot that really makes me go, oh, wow, how great is that? You know, it just becomes like a decent not even horror thriller. I don't even, honestly, this might be a little harsh, but I think it's a horror movie. I think it kind of fails. I don't really think it's scary at all. I think there's a couple of well-directed scenes, but nothing really stood out or made me go like, oh shit, or not a whole lot of tension either. I think it was just a decently made movie, but not really all that scary, truthfully. Well, Nate, you're the resident scaredy cat around here. Yeah. Uh, yeah Jake and I yeah. could be a little jaded. <laughs> so when Jake and I say something's not scary, mm-hmm. that could be different for you, and it could be different for general audiences. With all that being said, what did you think of the Halloween reboot? Well, as a scary movie, I think it's definitely a scary movie. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I didn't think it was scary at all. Oh, my God. Man. Interesting. Oh, see, yeah, this, this is where you get the wuss out of me, Jake. Like, specifically the closet scene really that just that brought out some like repressed fears that i had as a little kid man like i just don't do all scary at all so that kind of stuff where i knew he's there i just waiting for him to just show himself so we can move on to the next scene Uh, and i can get out of there like it's so basic i know i know (laughs) i guess that's my thing i'm like what the, for me, the the motion sensor lights in the backyard scene was the only thing that I went, oh, shit, I like that a lot. Everything else was pretty basic. Now, we'll get into the specific moments because I do like those scenes. From a filmmaking perspective yeah. um, and even from just sitting in the seat, those are gripping. Mm-hmm. No matter what the connotation is, scary, funny, entertaining. Like There are definitely moments in this movie. Um, but in terms of the whole, 
I kind of agree with you here, Jake, where this movie prioritized style over substance. Mm-hmm. And part of it is because the original premise for the original Halloween is so simple. Right. It's really hard to build on it. So they have a couple different through lines of how can we make this more interesting. And I think the interesting one is the relationship between uh, Laurie Strode and Michael Myers. Uh, but they explore some other paths too, and at times those work, and at times it feels a little scattered and underdeveloped. Overall, I think it's definitely a successful movie. Um, not something that I loved or even like really, really liked, but a solid, a solid film that was definitely well made and overall enjoyed the experience, despite me wanting to run away every time there was a scary scene. <laughs> I'm glad we're making Nate branch out and watch horror movies. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, you only get this during October, warning it's you It's really now. only in October, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, this definitely felt like a 2018 version of this movie. Like, this was a lot more brutal uh, than the original was, a lot more violence. Uh, not so much like it's over the top, like, there are some freaking bloody horror movies. This isn't one of them, mm-hmm. um, but it definitely felt like a modern take on what horror is. Right. The body count is probably almost double compared to what it is in the first, if not more, probably more. I, I looked this up before the show. I think the body count for the original is five, and I think we're upwards of 16 to 18, depending on what internet article you read here. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, the word that stuck out to me that both of you guys said a couple of times is simple. It's a very simple back-to-basics execution here. David Gordon Green and Danny McBride and the creative team behind this clearly watched a lot of these sequels that I've watched recently. Um, The second movie, after the original, of course, which we've gone into, you can listen to our freeze-frame review on that film, it's very simple. The second movie does a pretty good job imitating that. Everything else after that is convoluted garbage, pretty much. Like, I made a reference to Busta Rhymes karate-chopping Michael Myers right at the top of the show, when I was referring to Jake, and Jake was very confused about what I was talking about. That's how much this series jumped the shark by 2002. Uh, There were movies where Michael had transferred evil to his niece. He was part of a manifestation of evil by a cult. It made Paul Rudd look like a bad actor. He's in one of these movies. The shit became so messy that it is refreshing to see them go back to basics. And that's what Halloween kind of sets out to do, and I think it achieves it overall. I don't disagree with anything you guys said, and I think we're pretty much all on the same page here. It's an entertaining throwback slasher. It has both the good and the bad of the slasher movie. It does succeed. I want this to be a positive note for me because it does succeed. It's always fun and engaging, and I I had a very good time watching the movie. But I do agree with you guys that it does not do a lot with its plot, and it's very frustrating when it comes to character and storytelling flow And it does not sidestep any cliches when it gets a chance at all. But the things it does well, it does really well. The direction we were talking about, the use of lighting, the use of the camera work, a really, really good score. Absolutely. Yeah, the score was good. Yeah, the score is... (laughs) Yeah, it has a very good basis because the original score is so great by John Carpenter himself. But, like, I know Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross worked on part of it, and they're fantastic at what they do. And the score really adds to the atmosphere like it did in the original film. I think this movie's at its best storytelling-wise when it focuses specifically on Laurie and how these 40 years have affected her. And I think nobody can dispute Jamie Lee Curtis does a very good job here. Just kind of getting into Laurie's survivor PTSD, both in the strength of her and the weakness of her, where she'll just break down in random moments. And then in other moments, we see how strong 
and awesome she is with a gun and how brave she is taking care of her family who were really frustrating and how they deal with her at points. And I'll get more into that in spoilers where they just like, this is a person that knows what she's doing and they just straight up don't listen to her at points. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating as a viewer to watch. But overall, as a redemption film for the Laurie Strode character and for the Halloween franchise, it's a very good step forward. Some of the things I thought was interesting that the movie was very clearly self-aware. Like, even the opening title sequence was very similar to the original from 1978. Yeah. And I like that they they brought this back, and I thought it was really a really interesting discussion. Um, Laurie Strode's granddaughter is talking to her two friends, and the guy friend is kind of saying, like, not that murder isn't a big deal, but he only killed, like, four people. I mean, or five. It's yeah. So much worse has happened since then. Why is that a big deal? And I'm like, that's actually... I kind of like that they're throwing that out there, because they're very self-aware... But they also make you realize, like, yeah, there's much worse that's happened in real life since then. But it doesn't change the fact that murder and horror and Michael Myers, who was evil, is still bad. Right. The movie does a really good job of balancing, like, the earnest old throwback nostalgia slasher with the meta. Like, it's this is not over the top, yeah. like, Scream or anything like that, where they're completely meta. and like Or even mm-hmm. Cabin in the Woods, which is super meta. But, like... Yeah, it's it's got a little bit of a mix in there, and I feel like that was a lot of that was Danny McBride and David Gordon Green's little touches to it. And they limited the throwbacks to the original. There's a couple homages there, um, particularly like one scene that I know we're all going to talk about when we get into spoiler section at the very end. Um, that's almost shot for shot, <laughs> but I think it does a good job of not throwing the spotlight on those moments. So you can appreciate them mm-hmm. as just good filmmaking on its own. Right. I'm glad we're getting to the positive stuffs now because I feel like once we get into spoilers, for me especially, yeah. my tone is going to become a lot more negative because I that's going to be the time where I bitch about what I really don't like. But I I do want to make it clear that I, I think it seems pretty obvious to me that all three of us thought it was a good movie at least. It's solid. solid. Yeah, not, like, not a bad movie, but truthfully from David Gordon Green who did Stronger with Jake Gyllenhaal, which is really good. Yeah, that's the other one. I was I hoping for a little bit more. Yeah, I think we're all just feeling like this movie was a little too safe. Maybe. Yeah, yeah maybe. Safe's not a bad thing, though, for me. Like, given mm-hmm. what I've seen and what this series has done before, like, and, and that seems to be a context that I have different than you guys, but, like, safe is not always terrible. <laughs> like, No, but I, yeah, I feel it's like not there, there could have been, yeah. like been a little bit more to to work with, to play with. I guess we're going to spoilers and we'll talk more. Yeah, let's let's get into our ratings here. If you're just joining us for the first time, the Middle Seats podcast, we operate on a seat scale when we rate movies. Here's how it works. If we think a movie is phenomenal, it has no flaws whatsoever, it gets placed upon a royal throne. If it's a movie that's, like, really good, has a couple of flaws, but, you know, it's a great time nonetheless. It's a really good movie, probably towards the tops of the year. We give it a plush recliner. If it's a movie with some significant problems but mostly good, the good outweighs the bad – we give it a wooden seat. If it's the inverse of that, where the bad outweighs the good, but there is some solid things in there, we give it a damp lawn chair. And if it's a movie with no redeeming qualities right now, we send it to hell in the sleazy outhouse. <laughs> and also we have our bag of popcorn moniker, which kind of recommends whether you should see the movie in theaters or not. Nate, let's start with you. Final thoughts as far as non-spoilery thoughts and a rating for Halloween. Alrighty. Uh, I'm gonna go pretty middle of the road here. I overall enjoyed the movie, but I don't think it did anything particularly special. Uh, so I'm gonna go with a nice wooden seat on this one. Still a solid recommendation, and I think a lot of people that are any sort of horror fans or just in the mood because of the season um, are going to have a good time with this movie. The only real knocks I have against it is that I think 
some of the things they did try to do to whether it's sequel baiting for future installments to the franchise or just to spice up the story a little bit they just didn't really commit to any one of them i think that this movie needed to and because of that it just feels a little too a little too safe a little too much in the comfort zone and i think that's why it's just not going to get too much higher on my seat scale here okay fair enough fair enough jake what what about you wow nate nate and i on the same page recently last podcast this one yeah i'm going i'm going wooden seat kind of like you said definitely not bad i like the i like the concept idea it's just the execution was fine it's just fine definitely not great definitely some flaws some some very stereotypical roll your eye moments at certain characters I think the bag of popcorn icon here really depends on, like, what theater you're going to and, like, what time. Like, if you're going to see it, like, super late when nobody's going to be there, it's going to be a bit different. But if you have, if you get to see it with a good audience, then I'd recommend seeing it in theaters because this could be fun with a good audience for sure. But I just don't think this movie did anything particularly great. It just had a good concept with a competent execution. It wasn't like a bad Friday the 13th remake. It was just, just pretty good. Guys, can we lay our wooden seats together? and watch the stars from one of our patios. I think that would be really nice. <laughs> as long as it isn't a full moon out Yeah. I can't remember the last time we gave a movie. It, it might have honestly been pretty, like, close to now. But, like, off the top of my head, it seems like we've been mostly in sync. So I'm going to sound like an echo chamber here and keep it brief. Uh, it is an entertaining movie, especially when you have a good crowd. Uh, it's a good release here around Halloween, obviously, because of the title and because if you're looking to be in a mood for just a fun slasher film... Uh, it is frustrating and it's lack of ambitions at point. It is very much trying to remind you of the success of that original Halloween, but at the same time, it's kind of just playing it safe. And that at times leads to some problems that are 40 years too old, in my opinion, which we'll get to in a bit, just with certain character and plot decisions. But overall, I do recommend it. I think it's a fun time, especially if you know you're going to have a good audience. Give it a shot. You're going to enjoy it. So, the guys, that'll do it for our non-spoiler section of Halloween. If you have not seen the reboot of Halloween, please tune out now. If you have, come into our spoiler section. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert! So, guys, I could nitpick pretty much every character that isn't Laurie Strode. Until the sun comes up. But, like, is there a certain thing you guys want to focus on to start with? Because that was the main thing for yeah. me. Just, like, I don't know. Go ahead, Nate. I think one of the weirder twists of this movie is what they try to do with the Doctor character. Yeah. Yeah. I, I literally went, oh, come on. Yeah, yeah, me too. So, <laughs> so just, just to fill in uh, the audience here who is just skipping to the spoiler section without seeing the movie, there's a point where... Hawkins, who is one of the police officers from the original movie, is out looking for Michael Myers with this movie's version of Dr. Loomis. And they pick up uh, Laurie's granddaughter, and she's driving in the back. They find Michael, they crash into him, and Michael Myers does the normal Michael Myers thing where you think he's dead, but he's not. The twist, though, is that the doctor is so angry that this in fascinating minds has been killed that he goes and kills Hawkins and just goes full psycho. And at the time it just felt so jarring. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Cause the setup and the setup is in quotes here is 
one scene with him and Hawkins alone in the car where he just says, I wonder what Michael feels like when he kills somebody, which happens literally two minutes before yeah. that scene. Um, so it feels just kind of out of nowhere. And the only other like interesting setup before then is way at the beginning of the movie with the podcasters. Yeah. Where you can see that he's I want to talk about little, that too. Yeah. <laughs> he's a little okay with holding out a mask to a serial killer and all the dogs and the uh, other sane people are going nuts. Like, you think a normal person would say, you know what? This is a bad idea. Like, <laughs> stop toying with the devil. <laughs> right, a psychologist. Maybe it's good that he's mute. Yes. If they wanted to commit to that twist, they could have had a little bit more buildup so it didn't feel so jarring. Right. But even then, it's so out of place with the movie, and then you end up with Lori's granddaughter in the back seat with this whole like side villain out of nowhere yeah. when all we really care about is Michael Myers. Yeah. You know immediately how that whole thing is gonna end. Like Michael Myers isn't gonna be like, Oh cool man, thanks for freeing me. Like, no, he's like, going to, in this case, stomp that guy's skull in. Like Yes, literally. Literally. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting to me because the lovely lady that I saw the film with, she turned to me and she went, I knew it. And like in my head I'm like, Am I fucking stupid? Did I miss something? It's relieving for me to hear you guys kind of address how jarring that was it just felt like a very weird choice to get this movie to the inevitable third act you know what i mean yeah yeah like i was like why are you gonna kill the only guy who can apprehend this man what are you doing like i get that you're you want to study this once in a lifetime brain but oh well too bad you don't kill the sheriff over it you're an idiot like (laughs) speaking of these kind of characters uh, Jake, I know you kind of alluded to the fact that you want to talk about the podcasters, who I feel yeah. like give us a bad name. <laughs> <laughs> so the podcasters, one, they, they're a little rude to Lori. Very. A little rude? <laughs> okay, yeah, they're pretty rude to Lori, one. <laughs> two, they just don't quite fit in the movie. They're, they just end up being a reason for Michael to kill more people. And in dumb ways. Why is she crawling across, along the bathroom floor? What part of that made you think that would help? Where is she going to go, to be fair? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Not under the stole, where yeah. she's trapped. I'll push back <laughs> you on that one, Jake. Like, yes, the characters don't really fit in the movie, but I think that sequence absolutely did. Yeah. Because we saw Michael becoming brutal, and it ends with that awesome shot of him putting the mask on and the music fading up in that way. Yes, I just mean when she's trying to crawl under the bathroom stall, or what made you... I, I get that, but, like, you need wouldn't... to have that bathroom scene to understand just how brutal Michael is going to be in this the movie. The scene, yes. I think the scene, that. yes. And the guy coming in trying to save her was also fine. Just the fact that she's sitting there letting this man watch her through the bathroom stall and then when he tries to break in she tries to crawl under. What, are, what else are you getting We're getting at? very <laughs> stuck on a very minute point here. Uh, here's why they're in the movie. They're here to get Michael's mask back. That's like the only reason they're here. Yeah. To wake the sleeping giant they easily could have had the psychiatrist do that. And you know what? That probably would have been better set up later. You know, it would have made me question Honestly, his yeah. role as a psychiatrist, but, you know, Loomis mm-hmm. wasn't a great psychiatrist either. He seemed like kind of a dick, to be honest. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. This movie drops subplots like it's Hot Pockets at points. Like, certain <laughs> certain characters, like, on a dime, Laurie's granddaughter's, <laughs> Laurie's granddaughter's boyfriend becomes just a complete asshole. Like, There's so many things like this that drive me nuts. Like, out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> these, those kind of things in movies drive me insane. Right. Like he's clearly cheating on her, and then makes it out to be her fault. Like, yeah. And and just to get stop. like to separate her from the phone, throws her phone in like ranch dressing or whatever. Or like I thought it was nacho cheese. Yeah, maybe, maybe pudding. I thought it was pudding. Whatever it is, he yeah. he throws it away, 
And then, and then we never hear from him. Dumb. He doesn't get it back. He's just dumb. Yeah. <laughs> like there has to be a deleted scene where he was murdered. Um, another, <laughs> another character. I mean, like this is not a drop subplot because he gets his comeuppance. But like the boyfriend's friend who basically tries to rape her. Like, hello, Foggy like, Nelson. He, he, like, he makes what? an inappropriate move. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rape is a little bit strong, but like absolutely assault, misconduct. Yeah. Like, but his death probably my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah, me too. I would say the so. execution of it, how David Gordon mm-hmm. Green decided to direct that scene was one of the few scenes that I really went, wow, that was really good. I like that a lot. Yeah. And just one more small drop subplot that I like. I kind of wanted to see what happened to the small uh, African-American kid that they were babysitting. Oh, he was great. Great actor. Great little actor. So good. Um, <laughs> that, that scene was so Danny McBride. But like he runs yeah, out of the house definitely. and then we never see him again. Like I would have liked the little button to know what happened there. Just like, I don't know. Like mm. where did he go? Where yeah, are his parents? Right. Whatever. You're right. He was so funny. I was mm-hmm. – the audience loved him. Every time he had something to say, they were cracking up. Yeah, he was good. He he slayed people. <laughs> but even even then, I feel like the, the babysitter just and her boyfriend just did not have a whole lot of common sense in that scenario, you know? I kind of give the babysitter a pass because I think she was just not expecting any of that to happen. Right, but the, the boyfriend, like, goes out and plays with the motorcycle instead of making sure his girlfriend's okay? The boyfriend just seemed like an idiot. He was high, probably. <sighs> like, classic like, horror yeah. movie idiot. Yeah. Um, but, but I thought the babysitter... Was a normal human being. Yeah, really. The and boyfriend. And at the end of the not... day, like that's kind of what I expect, bare minimum, from right. these movies. And I think she was not only funny, but we actually like felt bad for her death because she was absolutely freaking terrifying when it yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. That girl was a good actress too. I didn't think she was too bad. Mm. An overall poor theme from the whole movie is it does what horror movies tend to do, where a brand new scene will reveal a brand new set of characters. Solely to get killed off in said yeah. scene. Yeah. And it, yeah. it follows that trope a lot and it becomes really predictable. And again, this is coming from someone who doesn't see a lot of horror movies and I can <laughs> understand a trope when I'm seeing it in a movie mm-hmm. because it just happens all the time. Oh, here's three new characters. I wonder how they're going to die this time. <laughs> oh, well, his head is now a jack lantern. I suppose that's kind of cool, but like, <laughs> yeah. who knew they were going to die the whole yeah. time. <laughs> here's the thing that, like, Okay, you've got your random bystanders like that, and yes, they, they are just fresh meat for Michael to slice up with his knife. The thing that annoyed me the most is how, like, Judy Greer, Laurie's daughter, has been training for this for her entire life. Her husband right. knows about all this stuff. The granddaughter knows about this stuff. So why are they acting as fucking stupid as people that are unprepared for this? Like, they just don't listen to Laurie. Yeah, there's no support at all. Even, like, okay, at the beginning they're being dicks because Michael has been incarcerated for 40 years. Fine, whatever. It's it's not cool to watch, really, but, like, you know, if, if the dad wants to get peanut butter on his penis, whatever. Um, that was so dumb also. Yeah, that was, that, that was really yeah. weird. <laughs> don't even get me started. That was one of the things on first, <laughs> on first watch, I was like, they'll probably cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> nope. And they didn't. No. But... Michael has been established to be back. So is everybody have a cinder block for a brain that is not Laurie Strode? Like the dad yeah. going out to confront Michael, stay in the bunker. You have a bunker there. The mom going up to try to find Laurie, stay in the bunker. You have a mm-hmm. bunker there. Allison escaping Michael and the psychiatrist when the house is 15 feet away and there are cop cars ahead, but she pivots to the right and runs in yep. the wood. Like, yep. 
Like, I, this yeah. is like, these are things that yeah. I am usually forgiving of. But at a certain point, I'm like, where are you going? And and same thing. The police truck kind of like veers off to the side and the cop car, not, not that far away, is just watching him. Yeah, like, like what are they on. doing? Like, <laughs> what, what mm -hmm. are they doing? Again, typical horror cops are idiots for no reason thing. Like... Um, but I think that's actually a good pivot. We should really talk about this third act. It's what everything has been building to, and I think it's important that we address it. Did you guys think it worked, yes or no? I think yes. Mo mostly, yes, mostly. Okay. Laurie v. Michael was cool, but then all that other stuff was, like, intruding. Yeah, overall, I thought it was definitely a cool idea, just not quite as scary as I, I, I thought it would be. Like, I know he's in the house and she wants to kill him, but realistically, wouldn't you wait for him to come to you? Why are you going room to room? Looking for Michael Myers. Wait for him. You are sticking your neck out there. No? Yeah, like, I see that, but at the same time, the way it all wrapped up, it was clear that that was kind of part of the plan to kind of bait him like this. I mean, a lot of things had to go right for said plan to work, but, Pretty like, ballsy for a 60, 65-year-old woman, yeah. but I, I guess you're right. <laughs> I, love the sim I love the symbolism of him being trapped down there, like, in hell. You know what I mean? Like, that was cool. Mm -hmm. And it's the only time you can see his eyes, too, which I yeah. thematically thought was really cool. And... Um, just taking, like, plot holes out of the picture, the whole scene where she's in the final room with all the mannequins in there, like, that was tense as hell. I agree. Because you have the closet that obviously is homage to the original, and you know, and she knows, and Michael know that they're all in the room, and it's just waiting for him mm. to appear. And you know it's happening, but the tension builds without feeling forced. And that really got me going as a scary <laughs> So I'm like, oh my God, just pop out. Nate's like, just tell me. <laughs> mm -hmm. But then the way that it ended with getting pushed off the balcony and then Michael turning away and looking back and you have the little piano notes um, in a complete reverse of the original scenario. Yeah, that was cool. Original movie. That was awesome. Fan yeah. servicey maybe, but that was awesome. And I'd only just seen the whole original Halloween last week, you know? Like, <laughs> right. that was so cool to see. <laughs> it still worked diegetically, you know what I mean? Like, it works within the universe. Exactly. Um, we should really start to wrap up here soon. Um, Jake, I'll get, I'll pivot it to you. Start to get towards final thoughts. You don't have to go exactly there, but if you are um, ready. So I, I do, at the very end, I like that the family kind of came together over it. Like, they, they kind of ride off in the back of a pickup truck together, right? Yeah. yeah. At the very yeah. end. I like that. I like the unity thing. Like, even though they gave her a hard time, which is a little unnecessary, you know, they all came together pretty nicely. And truthfully, did you guys... Am I the only one who didn't see this coming at the end when Judy Judy Greer's in the at the bottom of the staircase like, Mom, I need your help. I can't do it. Michael pops out and she goes, gotcha, and, and nails him. The first time I saw that, I'm like, I actually believed that she was that she couldn't do it. And I was like, are you kidding me? Come on. you Like, really? And then she does it. And right. I'm like, oh, okay, nice. I wasn't sure if that was part of the plan or if it was her survival instinct kicking I thought in. it was really the plan because her face one. immediately changes. No, it was, it was the yeah. plan. It was the plan. Um, so yeah. I did like that. And I, over, I think overall the ending worked. I think the beginning with the podcasters was a little eh. Um, there's a couple, re there's a couple solid kills like Michael Myers, as the woman looks out the blinds, he's coming in behind her. That was a single take shot. That was, too, that yeah. was really well shot. Yeah. I love how you can see him going in the side. Yes. That was, that was solid. Like you, that's why I say you can tell there was a good director at work here, but overall there, it just didn't do enough. And there was too many basic stereotypical, like, because of course, because of course they're transporting him on Halloween night because of course the boyfriend's an asshole for no reason. There's just always stuff like that that's going to make you roll your eyes. But overall, it was, it was solid. So I guess we want to go into final thoughts. That's Those are my final thoughts. Overall, solid. Nothing crazy. Nothing great. 
not going to regret it. It's it's a solid follow-up for sure. Go ahead, Nate. Final thoughts. We know this is going to be a franchise. Um, I think I read a interview where this was originally supposed to be a two back-to-back filmed movies, and they decided to stop that just to see how this one did critically and financially. Which, yeah, I, that movie is a slam dunk at this point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so expect more of these. Um, on that note, I think the franchise is moving in a good direction. Mm-hmm. This was uh, violent, updated for the 21st century. Like, in terms of like taking Michael Myers as a character, this did a good job because they brought better actors into the picture. He's less Batman-y in this <laughs> one. He doesn't yeah. just, like, randomly <laughs> yeah, pop in and out of things. And he's an actual killer. In the original, he kind of just screws with people. Right. For a really long time and you're waiting for the kill here like if he gets you in your sights you are a target and you are probably going to die and that's terrifying that yeah. that's like an actual movie villain that's worth making several movies about i just hope that they they pick a through line and they stick with it rather right. than mm-hmm. saying oh let's do his origins here let's make a family issue here uh let's make the granddaughter the killer in this movie like <sighs> yeah overall I think this is a solid installment to the franchise. I'm happy to see where they go from here, but you're going to have to wait until next Halloween to get me to see it because huh. <laughs> <laughs> I was still scared, man. <laughs> the point of this being a more violent version of the original film is very true, especially when you consider one of the first kills that Michael Myers has, if not the first kill, is of a child. Um, literally of a child who, I, first of all, those two characters, why are they... Why does the kid get out of the car when he sees a bunch of mental patients walking there, around? Another one. Why does the dad leave him alone in the car? Why does the another dad leave one. him alone in the car? Why are they hunting at night? Another one. Like, do people do that? Like, okay. Anyway, <laughs> getting back to my original point, it is more violent. It is uglier, but in, like, a, a fun way. Um, we have our issues with it. We've made that clear. We've gone into it in depth, but I do not want to lose the point that this is a fun horror movie. Um, it's a good throwback to the days of old while also progressing the franchise forward in the right direction. I think this needs to be the end of the Strode story, but if you can find a way to make Michael Myers still appealing without including the Strodes, because I think that has been played out too much at this point. I think this is the good finale for Jamie Lee Curtis and for those characters. But if they can't think of a way to do it, let this be kind of a swan song for the franchise, which I know they're not going to do. We've already... Yeah been cynical enough in this episode and that's a good pivot point to get to the end of this episode of the middle seats podcast thank you guys for tuning in before we go nate lungarini where can they find us on the internet all righty here's how you can get in touch with us please like comment and subscribe to our youtube channel the middle seats you can also listen to us on the go on both soundcloud and itunes for any questions comments or updates on the show keep an eye on our facebook and twitter both at the middle seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. If you guys are not listening to our spin-off show, Freeze Frame, please listen, especially on the latest episode where we jump back in time in our time machine, review a movie relevant to the movie that we're reviewing this week. Of course, for the 2018 Halloween, we talked about the 1978 Halloween, so you can hear more about our thoughts about that original film there. Next week, our feature review is going to be of the movie getting a lot of Oscar buzz right now, The Hate You Give. So be on the lookout for that. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Middle Seats Podcast. For Nate Lungarini and Jake Hensler, I'm Andrew Oje. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon.